Happy 2015. Oh, no, it's 2016. 2016. Been a bit shit so far, isn't it? Welcome to the No Comments Allowed podcast. I am your host, Marcus Beer, and this is the first of the 2016 podcasts. Um, kind of took December off. Couldn't be asked. Just wasn't much going on. I mean, a couple of games. Well, actually, only one real game came out, I think. And then we had the inevitable slew of awards and game of year shenanigans that we get every year. Um, still, the only fucking industry who decides to have its major game of year awards ceremony before the end of the calendar year, which is, as I've said before, incredibly stupid. But how you doing? Do you have a good holiday season? You have a kick-ass New Year, great Hanukkah, fantastic Christmas, Kwanzaa, whatever, Festivus, any and every holiday that you celebrate. Hope you had a good one. Yeah, pretty good Christmas and, and New Year. Um, and I'll, I'll tackle that in a bit. Um, let's talk about 2016. So we're 15 days in and it's... Just not from not from a gaming perspective, just from a general perspective. 2016 can fuck off. Um, started on January the 11th when we found out that David Bowie passed away. Um, and then a couple of days later, we lost Alan Rickman, the actor. And these are two people who have obviously, you know, been around my entire life. I mean, Alan Rickman didn't really, you know, he didn't come to prominence until Die Hard, but he did so many movies that just, you know, that, that were just great and have a place in my heart. I mean, Hans Gruber in, in Die Hard, I mean, the guy single-handedly created the industry of using British actors as bad guys. In, in Hollywood movies. I mean, so many people owe their paychecks to him um, because, you know, he created this stylish, arrogant, incredibly smart nut job that, um, you know, stands out as one of the best movie bad guys of all time, especially in an action movie. I mean, he did elevate it to a whole different level. I mean, you know, I'm sure the temptation to chew scenery and ham it up would have been, you know, immense, but he didn't do that. I mean, you know, he's a you know, trained theater actor, directed and uh, appeared in so many plays in, in the UK over the years. And, you know, he brought that level of craft um, to the character. And, I mean, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I mean, I didn't even realize he was English until... Uh, well after the movie had come out, um, I thought Alan Rickman doesn't sound like a very German name, but yeah, he was fantastic in it. And then, you know, his body of work continued. I mean, obviously he was, he was Severus Snape. I mean, you can't read the books anymore without mentally picturing him. And, you know, you see the lines, you hear his voice, you know, saying it. Um, Galaxy Quest, you know, iconic again uh, a little British movie he did early in his career I mean after Die Hard which was called Truly Madly Deeply which um, you know is kind of ghost-esque uh, but brilliant I mean he's brilliant in it um, 
you know, he plays a guy who dies and, you know, it's how his partner and he cope post that. And, you know, it's just a great, great movie. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sheriff Nottingham. I mean, again, he was, you know, he was probably the best part of that movie because, you know, Robin Hood does not have an American accent. Sorry, Kevin Costner. Um, Christian Slater really is his half brother, also with an American accent. Uh, I mean, yeah, come on. Movie was a pile of gash, and it did give us the crime against music that was everything I do. I'd do it for you, Brian Adams, you bastard. Um, but again, Alan Rickman's The Sheriff of Nottingham was fantastic. Um, I mean, I think my favorite sort of like geeky sci-fi role that he he did though was uh in hitchhikers when he made uh when he voiced marvin the android the depressed paranoid android i mean his delivery was just spot on um and yeah i mean irreplaceable as that particular character so you know and it's going to be interesting now because we're hearing a galaxy quest 2 is coming and you know people are talking about doing the restaurant at the end of the universe because martin freeman's a bigger star and all these other things um but without alan rickman i don't think those movies are doable uh, i mean maybe there's a way to you know duplicate his voice for hitchhikers but Alexander Dane, the character he he played in in Galaxy Quest, was, I mean, it was pitch perfect, and you know he was the the serious comic relief, um, that counterbalanced Tim Allen and uh, Sigourney Weaver incredibly well. I mean, you know, it's almost as if he was channeling, I think, Leonard Nimoy, who obviously we lost last year, but yeah, those movies, they, those movies, if they go ahead, won't be the same. Uh, without him and yeah it's just sad i mean you know he was 69 cancer took him and i mean it's obviously more of a blow i think when or a shock rather when you don't know that they're sick in the first place because he kept it very quiet um so yeah he's a tremendous loss and um i think one of the things i'm going to do this weekend is maybe stream some quality rickman stuff not sure i'm quite ready to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves again, but, um, you know, Die Hard, one of the best Christmas movies, Galaxy Quest, Truly Madly Deeply, Hitchhikers, Love Actually, again, he plays this character who, you know, is complicated, a family man, who, businessman, who is tempted by the fruit of another, and, I mean, it doesn't seem that he goes beyond anything you know beyond the flirtation and buying somebody a gift but he still does something wrong and he pays for it and again rickman just nails it i mean he's also in i think uh, sense and sensibility and you know a bunch of british films but yeah i mean some quality rickman he's going to be totally missed um and of course condolences to his family um and then, then of course, you know, going back to last Monday, the eleventh, David Bowie. Um, and this was a guy who had been part of my life um, up until last Monday. There wasn't a day where you know I have been alive that David Bowie wasn't his music wasn't in it or his movies. Um, I mean, this guy was a true 
he's a true pioneer. I mean, he paved the way for a lot of artists. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, David Bowie, he was an old has-been. But, you know, he he made the, uh, you know, he sort of like paved the road for the likes of Lady Gaga in particular. I mean, she's obviously, and quite rightly, held up as a as an iconic singer who... Um, musician who has you know done so much for um equality with regards to genders and how people dress and sexuality and before that there was boy george and obviously madonna but in the late 60s early 70s bowie was the guy i mean this is a guy who you know he was the one who really sort of like kick-started glam rock and you know, when he created Ziggy Stardust, you didn't know if he was gay, if he was bi, if he was straight. And he didn't give a shit. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's got, you know, he's been married twice and has kids. The director of the Warcraft movie, Duncan Jones, is his son, which I didn't really put that connection together until last Monday when I saw Duncan Jones tweet. Um, but... I mean, Bowie's music, 70s when I was growing up, 80s when I was a teenager, 90s into the 2000s. And, you know, I mean, there was always a couple of songs each decade that really stuck in my head. Um, and then obviously as I get older and, you know, look, when you're, when you're younger, you, and me, you know, I'm talking about me now, I liked what I liked. And, you know, just like many youngsters today and youngsters in future generations anything old was just ah has been because you don't really have that appreciation because you perhaps don't have the worldly view yet but as i've got older i mean my ipod has filled up with bowie tracks started with a couple of compilations uh you know where he'd been he'd, he'd be on a compilation and then you know the best of bowie i mean Life on Mars is such a touching track for me. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, and it's one that I came to that one late because I started watching the BBC show, Life on Mars. Um, and that was the obviously the intro. And it just stuck in my head and I started listening to it. And it's on, I think it's on my top 25 most played on my iPod. Um and then there's Ashes to Ashes and Fame and, you know, We Could Be Heroes. Um, he did Let's Dance with Mick Jagger. Sorry, not Let's Dance, with uh, Dancing in the Streets with Mick Jagger for uh, Live Aid. And he did Let's Dance and China Girl. And obviously, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Um, and all these songs really sort of like come back into... Um, your psyche and your you know you, you know you start to appreciate the more as you get older. I mean, under pressure that he did with Queen is also you know it's one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, and ironically, I mean, the first time around, I think it came out in eighty two, and I didn't really become aware of it, ironically, until after Vanilla Ice stole the fucking hook for ice ice baby because again i was you know 
I was a teenager, late teens, out drinking, thinking vanilla ice was cool. Not something I'm proud of. But, you know, Ice Ice Baby was a uh, catchy song. And it was a catchy song because of the hook. And the hook was stolen from Under Pressure. And then you go and listen to Under Pressure and... It's just a jaw-dropping track. Um, I mean, he did... He did Little Drummer Boy with Bing Crosby in the 70s. Maybe early 80s. And there's a pairing you don't think you'll ever hear together. David Bowie and Bing Crosby. And the song is fantastic. I mean, they recorded it in separate things and then came together for the video. But it was just, it's just a fantastic Christmas song. It's on my must-play Christmas list every year. I have an extensive Christmas list of music and movies. It's, I've gone on record and saying it's uh, my favorite time of the year because on the whole, we stop being assholes to each other for three to four weeks. On the whole. As I take a sip of my coffee. And again, Bowie was somebody we didn't know was sick. And, uh, you know... It's twice this week my wife's woken me up with, oh my God, David Bowie's died, and oh my God, Alan Rickman's died. And other people have passed on. We lost Lemmy from Motorhead. And, you know, also to cancer. Uh, he was around the same age. Literally, I think he was 70 in eight or nine days or something. And I posted this on Facebook, but as you get older, it is a fact of this thing we call life that... Our icons, the, ca- the, 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 the actors, the singers, the writers who have formed and contributed to our growth, our evolution, to who we are, to our tastes, they start to die off. We lose them. And if you don't know somebody's sick, it becomes a hell of a shock. And... I mean, I remember John Lennon dying. I remember Elvis dying. But it didn't really have that effect on me. John Lennon, the thing years later, you know, because, I mean, I, I developed an appreciation. And that's no disrespect to Elvis Presley because I was, you know, I was six or seven when he passed. But Lennon, I mean, again, one of the greatest songs ever written is Imagine. And Merry Christmas War is over. Um, but... With social media now, you know, things are more impactful because, you know, my feed this week has been people sharing their favorite Bowie memories, their favorite Alan Rickman memories. And like I said, you know, and there was Lemmy before that. And I wasn't a huge Motorhead fan, but I can certainly, you know, Ace of Spades is, is an awesome track. Um, and of course, other people have passed, you know, in the, you know, because people do, but social media amplifies it. And it's an incredibly bittersweet experience um, to be to see other people's memories, to see what other people's favorites are, because you know it's replaced the water cooler. And I mean, look, I work from home. I don't go to an office. I don't have that interaction with people that perhaps you know I would have. No, I, I did have ten, fifteen years ago. That's one of the benefits or drawbacks, whichever you you know you want to look at, of being self-employed. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's just you know, it's a it's a sad state of affairs and a sad fact of life that the icons who helped shape our lives will pass on. But the beauty is that these guys and girls, ladies and men, have created stuff that's impacted on us and will always impact on us. And my hope is that the by you know social media sharing far and wide people's memories it opens the door for new generations to sample what these people have done and i know a lot of people black star which is bowie's new album which dropped you know on his birthday a couple of days before he passed um and people you know the lazarus track in particular has taken on new poignancy because it was his goodbye message the album was his goodbye because he knew not many other people did but yeah i hope people can you know share with the kids share with younger brothers and sisters the beauty of life on mars the beauty of under pressure the beauty of ziggy stardust and you know that's just on the music side um i had the tv on in the background yesterday and the movie the prestige came on and a movie i haven't seen in a long time um christian bale and hugh jackman and it's the, directed by chris nolan um you know in between his uh, between batman begins and the dark knight and yeah the dark knight yeah the dark knight and there's a scene where the Hugh Jackman character is in America and he wants to meet Nikola Tesla about building something. And out of the mists uh, in, you know, inside this huge warehouse where electric, electrical energy has been going and sparking, creating a little bit of fog. And out of the mists walks David Bowie as Nikola Tesla. And you forget that you know he was also an actor. I mean, The Dark Crystal. I've seen some interesting posts about that this week, about how his character in The Dark Crystal was the first crush for a lot of people. Um, I mean, he was obviously in Zoolander as David Bowie for the fashion walk-off, which was just funny because he just played it so seriously. And that was great. He was in the classic horror film The Hunger with uh, Catherine Deneuve and uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, you know, and he's done a huge, you know, he's left a huge body of work behind. I think it's our responsibility as a generation. And look, I'm, if, if you listen to this podcast, you're generally skewing a little, I think, older. You know, you are 30s, 40s, maybe older. And again, no slight on those of you under 30 who listen to this. Thank you. I appreciate anybody who takes the time to listen to my waffle. But it's our responsibility to share the, the good stuff, the stuff that shaped us with our children. I mean, I don't have any. So Spike the Dog gets to listen to a lot of David Bowie. And will watch Die Hard with me. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, and it's the responsibility of people like me with a podcast to say to you, go out, listen to it. Buy your greatest hits. Be surprised about, you know, even if you aren't a Bowie fan, be surprised at how many tracks have wormed their way into your brain over the years and you didn't even realize it. 
And the same with Alan Rickman. And the same with any artist. So, okay, um, that was 20 minutes of uh, me waxing maudlin as an old man and uh, sad that these people have left us, but grateful for what they have left us. That's kind of deep, considering I'm sober. Oh, yeah. January 11th, another momentous day. Quit smoking. That sucks. All right, well, this is supposed to be a podcast about video games, although I have said time and time again I will go off on tangents, which I have just done. Um, and there's been some gaming stuff. Not a huge amount. I mean, it's quiet. It's always this quiet this time of year. I mean, we have had CES, which is the world's biggest iPhone case sales fucking exhibition. Um, I've been to CES a couple of times. I loathed it. I loathed it. I mean, you go once for the experience, but then when your feet start to fall off because you've walked, you know, three million miles and waded through a bunch of crap from imported from China uh, or from anywhere, really. You, it tends to lose its luster. Um, and you end up too knackered to go out and drink at night. Because that's, let's face it, the reason you go to these things. Because you want to hang out with your mates and get pissed. Um, but one of the things that has obviously popped up is the Oculus price. Now that it's available for pre-order and is shipping soon. And I was kind of excited about this. Because I wanted an Oculus. I'm a fan of VR. Said that before, many a podcast or show or TV or whatever video. I've tried Oculus a couple of times. Tried it way back, you know, not way, way back, but four or so years ago when Todd Howard was still at Bethesda before he went off to Oculus and he was demoing Doom 3. And, you know, I give it credit as it's the first time ever that Doom 3 was playable and enjoyable when I used it on, on Oculus. Uh, and then, you know, E3 18 months ago, not the last one, the one before, where I got a sample again and play the uh, game, I think, Lucky's Tale, which is the platformer, which opened my eyes, no pun intended, to how oculus is not just for first person shooters or space sims how it will you know it will enhance those games but it also works with the platformers it can work with almost any game you should actually work with any game and enhance and change your experience of that so like i said i've been a fan i'm still a fan but obviously the price six hundred dollars now when i first heard it i was like it's a little steep, but cheaper than a high-end iPad. And it will continue, to, you know, it will last longer probably because people change their iPads or their phones out every two or two years or so. Maybe three years in the case of the iPad, but yeah, I've done it myself. And hopefully Oculus is, is something that will continue to upgrade. I mean, obviously we know the tech's going to get better, but it should last you know, the new first units hopefully will last three, maybe four years, but we don't really know. But 600 bucks is a chunk of change for what is predominantly a gaming thing right now. And I mean, it, uh, that was what was, was kind of surprising to me is it was on the little bit on the high end and it ships with, with Lucky's Tale and Eve Valkyrie games they've been showing for the last two years um so everybody's played those games uh and look maybe it would have been better if 
you know they bundled it with a, a game like Elite Dangerous or Alien Isolation something that you know goes beyond perhaps what everybody's already experienced but I'm you know I'm guessing again a lot of people haven't experienced it because they haven't got to try Oculus but so yeah I was kind of ambivalent on the price and then I uh, out of you know sheer curiosity um, downloaded the little app that they have to check your system specs and I knew my desktop machine wouldn't run Oculus my desktop machine is now what three years old maybe four and it needs it needs an upgrade it needs a new graphics card and a couple of other things um and that's on you know on an unrelated note or a related note if you prefer uh that's where i'm going to be tapping at my old buddy jason evangelo on adv- advice on how to change and soup up my my desktop rig and get it kicking and screaming into the 2016s because uh he's very good and you should follow him the game technician um you should follow him he's on soundcloud um yeah because obviously the last time i and i think i've shared this before my one other attempt at trying to upgrade and install a new graphics card in a pc was way back and uh like in the late 90s and all i managed to do was blow the machine i actually blew the power supply and it was a loner from intel as well <laughs> oh god yeah i'm not technically proficient with the guts of a pc but perhaps as i'm older i can understand it now i can build things from ikea so maybe i can install a graphics card but yeah i uh i try i tried the uh oculus app on uh my razor blade pro my kick-ass little gaming laptop that runs things like fallout 4 at full fucking monster specs and i ran the thing and i went "Eh, eh, no chance your processor's not good enough your graphics card's not good enough and i was like oh fuck a duck and that's the thing it's going to cost a lot of people fifteen hundred dollars to get around fifteen hundred dollars to get a machine that can run oculus so when you tap that and you know attach that to the six hundred dollars us that moves VR uh, well into the hardcore domain and out of the hobbyist's reach, which is which sucks. It does suck. And it doesn't help when Palmer Lucky, who's obviously the head of Oculus, turns around and says, well, it could have been more expensive, you know. I'm like, dude, really? Check your hubris, because if you want this to succeed and... Mark Zuckerberg wants it to succeed. Mr. I paid $2 million for Oculus. I mean, look, we complain about the price now, but he's the one who paid $2 million, the billion dollars for it. Um, it's expensive. And look, it's early gen tech, um, which is why I think I'm going to I'm gonna skip this, this iteration. Um, and, you know, maybe 12 months down the line, they'll have refined it a little bit more. They'll have got... You know, the cost of the tech going into it will be lower. My PCs will be stronger. But it's a shame that it's going to be so expensive. And look, we complain about $600 and whatever, you know, it is to get the PC upgraded here. I mean, you look at the price equivalency. In Australia, it's $1,100 just for that base unit. $1,100 Australian dollars because of exchange rates and various other things. And ouch. And then you go to the U.K., and it's 500 pounds 
And that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't even make sense because when you add tax and everything on top, it takes it about, it takes it to 600 pounds. And given that the dollar is about one point, I'll be conservative and say 1.6 to the pound. That pushes this up to around the thousand dollar mark before you eat, you know, in, in equivalency. And you're pricing these markets, you're pricing a lot of people out of sampling VR. Um, I was hoping it would come in around 400, 400 US, 300 UK, and whatever that would be, you know, in the other territories in euros, Australian dollars. But yeah, it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think a lot of people will still be, you know, raving, but it's a phenomenal experience, but I don't envisage it perhaps doing as well. What, what do I know? What do I know? I'm just a bloke with a mouth. And I mean, look, I think the knock-on effect is it'll be interesting to see how Sony handles their VR. Because look, we know, you know, if you're a PC gamer like what I is, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. You know that you have something that costs, you know, three or four times the price of a console and delivers exponentially better graphics and uh, not necessarily gameplay nowadays because a lot of PC games are just half-cocked ports. But, it, it you know, my my PC looks better than Xbox One. My PC looks better than a PS4. That's just the laws of nature or the laws of technology. But Sony have, an op- have a chance here. And, you know, the the murmurings coming out of Sony HQ with the VR is that they're going to treat it around the same price as a new gaming system because that's how they're kind of viewing it, um, which means it should come in around the $400 mark, which does make it automatically way more appealing than Oculus for, on base price, plus the fact you don't have to upgrade your PS4. Still a chunk of change, but 400 bucks is certainly more manageable. It's a lot of money, but it's more manageable. If, it, if they go to the five six hundred dollar range, ouch! Because at the end of the day, it's not a new gaming system, and this is where perhaps some of their messaging. My XPR manager, PR director, PR douchebag side comes out and wants to slap somebody because it's not a new gaming system. It's a peripheral. It is something meant to enhance your existing gaming system. For it to be considered a new gaming system, it needs to be, all right, here's the VR. We, You plug it in, you connect it to your Wi-Fi, you link it to your PlayStation account. You don't plug it into your PS4 because the virtual screen will come up, you log in, you download games to the memory built in into the VR, and you start playing. That's a gaming system. Or if it comes with a little box, tiny box, then it becomes its own gaming system. But you need a PS4 to play it. Therefore, it's not a new system. It's a peripheral. It's an enhancement. It's like the Xbox One Elite controller that uh, a lot of people love. I don't have one yet. Um, if I can be dragged back to my P- to my Xbox One at some point, um, maybe I'll invest. But don't say that it's a new gaming system. It's not. Especially when you know that the software that's going to come for it is going to go down the HD route that we've experienced with, you know, a lot with this generation of, oh, well, guess what? We've gone in and here's a patch. Or 
actually that's probably just being exceptionally optimistic it won't be a fucking patch for the existing game you already own it's like here's the 3d oculus uh, the 3d vr version of this game you've already bought before and it will cost you another 40 50 bucks 60 bucks who knows and there won't be physical media for it it'll have to be downloadable because that increases you know the profit but it won't bring the price down so yeah while i'm still excited in technology and believe that it is the way forward to really evolve gaming and social interaction um i think that it's going to be a good few years before it really does take hold it's not going to be like the Wii, where Nintendo scaled things down. They made money on every unit, but it was still moderately priced, and that's why so many homes have Wiis, and they're you know gathering dust now because obviously it's a dead console. But Nintendo got it right, and I very rarely say that, uh, but they did. Uh, so yes, VR. Ooh dear. Okay, so yes, I'm, I'm sure there's probably other stuff that's happened in 2015 already, but I can't be asked to dig it up. I haven't really checked my inbox recently. Um, just so like, you know, it always takes... January is always a, a funny month because it's just recovering from Christmas and the lack of Christmas decorations. Because I suffer from, you know, I do get that bit of depression that once Christmas is out of the way, it's like, oh, fuck it's the longest possible time to christmas again um but you know this year we took our decorations down after you know only i think last week uh, and i felt better for it but still it's it's the dead time not much to do not really not really uh new tv shows right now you know most of them are on hiatus x-files is coming back at the end of the month which is cool uh but yes it's a it's a it's a quiet quiet month and i feel sorry for for those people in the PR departments who send out the press releases thinking it's a quiet month, we'll be able to get some coverage because I just don't have the interest, <laughs> but it'll come back. My interest will come back. Um, so let's go back and let's talk a little bit about 2015 as I sip my coffee and don't pause for a cigarette. I'm on the patches. Yeah. Um, and obviously, because I'm quitting cigarettes, my system's slowly flushing itself of the non-nicotine chemicals because nicotine's still in my system because I got a patch on. But you know, there's there's some not gruesome but certainly unattractive side effects uh, of coming off the smokes. Insomnia. I've been up till about four a.m. a couple of nights this week, and then waking up fucking six o'clock in the morning. Um, the mucus oh yes as your lungs start to clean out and your system starts to drain you hock up some lung butter but this is the price i pay for you know i was a smoker for 15 years well maybe 12 actually no 12 years um but now i'm not a smoker and the effects will kick in and you know get even better and the side and the side effects will disappear and uh I'll be better for it. <coughs> Sorry about that. So let's go back to 2015. You know, the last two years in games, 2014, 2015, not been our sh most shining lights, 2014 in particular. 
because we always had the, you know, we had the gate that was lame and all those fuckheads and they've continued into 2015. And let's talk about, let's talk about Milo. Milo from Breitbart. Milo the prick. Milo, the poster child of a generation or a small subset of a generation of idiots. The subset being the idiots, not the generation. Uh, Idiots who view this Perez Hilton wannabe, this bitchy, untalented, mini-Trump type character who, before he decided to, or before he realized that by jumping on the pro-Gamergate bandwagon and how that would lead to profit and notoriety and fame because people are stupid. This is the guy who equated gamers to people who live in basement and wear piss-stained sweats. This is a person who snobbed up against gamers and hated them and said they were gross and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, he changed his tune. And, of course, with the current mentality on planet Earth of if you're not for us, you're against us. The morons. The morons basically lined up. And he's still going... And he's a real nasty byproduct of 2015 in particular. Because people think he's a, you know, it's it's funny how much slack he's getting from other people where, you know, I've read, I've read profiles about him where it's, you know, his friends are very liberal. His friends are, you know, and this is, you know, he's a, he's a gay man. He's a gay man who's anti, you know, appears to be anti-feminist, anti-woman, anti-histamine. I don't care, anti-fucking Christ. He is the anti-Christ. Um, and you know, his friends are, you know, whether they be straight or gay. I mean, you know, they seem to be liberal, and they they seem to treat him more as a oh you can't believe it, but we still love you. And his friends need a kick in the ass because they're fucking enablers. I mean, the the twats, the Gamergate twats, a lot of them are stupid. Look, they may have some smarts as in book smarts, but they're fucking morons on a social level, on a common sense level. They're like the, they're like the, the hardcore nut bars that we've got in our Oregon right now, the militia, who are anti-government yet take a lot of subsidies from the government because, you know, the Americans and that's their right. Or the ones who want to really cling to their guns because Obama's taking their guns. Even though they've got if they got their guns legally and can pass a background check, they've got nothing to worry about. But Obama's taking their guns. And there's this subset. The Trumpers. Let's call them the Trumpers because, you know, Wiggy in Chief is pandering to these fuckers too. And this, you know, these the people who tolerate them. The people who say, you know, you're still my friend. I still love you, even though, you know, I disagree with everything you say. They're the enablers. 
And I know this is going to sound rough, but it's true. We've all got friends who are, you know, you can be a moderate Republican and support women's rights, the women's right to choose, equal rights for different sexualities, transgender people, health care, that sort of stuff. And still, you know, you can still be a Republican and have some, you know, some some ideas because the Republican Party was never nutbars. Not always. I mean, they ended slavery. But they've, you know, since the Reagan days, they've gone downhill. Um, but you can be a decent human being and a Republican or a subset of a Republican. But yeah, these enablers, I'm going back to Milo. I want to kick him in the fucking metaphorical nuts because they they just keep this fucking clown going just as much as the Mike Cernoviches. Mike Cernovich, yeah, he's another fucking character. Darwin Award candidate. He's a L.A.-based lawyer, apparently, who is, you know, one of these dude bros who just is a fucking moron. Smarts, but no common sense. No decency, no... You know, unless he's one of these ones who, like I said, Milo, it's all an act. It's all a sham. It's all to get the money. It's all to get the Facebook followers, the Twitter followers, to sell the book, to sell the public appearances. And that makes them worse because... They, they're shills. They're shills who are peddling and pandering while chasing the almighty dollar. And what they're doing is dangerous because, you know, it'll come out at some point that half these fuckers who are the leading lights don't actually believe this because they, you know, their 15 minutes will go and they will try to reinvent themselves. Um... But yeah, they are, they're still the byproduct and they're, they're st- their bile has seeped out of games but they will forever be not out of games as in that they're not doing the games thing anymore. They are still there and they've got their followers. But they are still, their shit is in, it's inciting the morons in other fields, the, other, the morons outside of games to flock to them. Much like Hitler, you know? Much like Trump. The dumb. The dumb people. I'm saying this. If you agree with their shit, you're dumb. And look, I've said before, I'm not exactly 100% fan of a lot of the shit that's said by the other side. And I know there are people on the other side of the, the Game of Gate things who say bad things and stir shit up. But to them, I'd say, you know, you can shut the fuck up too because you're just as bad. But you can't argue against not discriminating. You can't argue against giving people shit because they have a fucking vagina or because they like, you know, they're a dude and they like the cock. You can't discriminate against people because of that. We're all fucking complex human beings on the, you know, with when it comes to a lot of things and the bullshit peddled by these Milos and Cernoviches of this world is just it's not helping they're like the fucking asshole before you know before Christmas who spouted off about Starbucks pulling all Christmas imagery from their cups and it's the war on Christmas and then it was gone why was it gone because Christmas happened we had Christmas we all said Hanukkah in this house my wife's Jewish and it was awesome Eight sensible gifts. Thank you, Cards Against Humanity. You saved Hanukkah. And then we did Christmas, and my wife loved Christmas, and I love Christmas. 
And we went to Starbucks. We had a red cup. And we didn't feel any less Christmassy. This fake controversy that people are buying into because they're stupid. They're uninformed. It's just... It's depressing. And of course, it's only going to get worse this year in 2016 because we're in an election here in the, you know, in the US. We're losing President Obama because of the two-term limit, which was initially a good idea to stop a dictatorship rising, but it means that we lose good presidents. I mean, Bush Jr. termed out, hallelujah. Obama, yeah. You know what? If it didn't, if I wasn't worried that it would actually take his health to new lows, that it could actually kill them, poor man. I would love to see Obama do a third term. Because the man has got common sense. The man has, he's done a lot of good and the, the job isn't finished in the US. And we need more like him. Whether it's, a, you know, whether it's him, Bernie Sanders. I'm endorsing Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton could go bite one. Um, but yeah, it's only going to get worse this year. We got the debates. We got Trump and Cruz and Rubio and, you know, the special Bush, Bubba Bush or whatever fuck his name is. It's jab. I know it's jab. Hyper, hyperbole, hyperbole. Spelled hyperbole, but said hyperbole. A little bit of hyperbole. But yeah, this is this is the situation we're in. So let's talk about, you know, Milo's bitching that he got de-verified on Twitter and his fans are up in arms because he lost his little check. Which pissed me. It made me piss myself laughing, to be honest with you, because he lost his little check because he was spouting hate speech. I'm good on Twitter for doing it. Should have banned the little fuck. Should ban all the little fucks who punch the slap the hate speech out there. I mean, look, I'm going to be, you know, I'm I'm meandering. I promise I'll get to some games in a bit. And some people have probably turned off already because I've deviated into politics, but it's my fucking show. I'll do what I want. Social media is a dangerous place. It has its goods. It's had, it, it does do good stuff. I mean, look, I talked about, you know, the Bowie and the Rickman stuff. And, you know, it's a good place to, you know, you share things that you can share injustices. You can share moments of beauty. But we still have this dark side of everything because we have this dark side of humanity. And dark side of social media is the threats is the abuse, is the bullying. And it's going to get even worse. Somebody is going to do something stupid based on a Facebook, YouTube, Twitter threat. They'll carry it through and something diabolically horrific is going to fucking happen because Facebook, Twitter, YouTube... Don't demand real name verification. And then they'll have to because they'll get regulated. Because this is in this on this planet, we're a big fan of shutting the stable door after the horse is long fucking gone. And the likes of Milo and all his ilk, they don't need to be allowed on social media. Because to be to be on social media, you need to be sociable. You need not 
to pick on people because they're overweight, because they, they're gay, they're lesbian, they're transgender, they're a woman, they're a ginger. And look, I'm not a big fan of 100% political correctness. I mean, I do stand with, you know, the Ricky Gervaises and Chris Rocks of this world where you, you know, you have to be able to take the piss out of yourself. And I, there's a difference between taking the piss and being exceptionally nasty and threatening and threatening somebody with rape um, or belittling somebody because of their gender and being, you know, encouraging them to commit suicide. And it, it, look, it is complex. I mean, I, de- I tend, tend to deal in black and white, but there are shades of gray, obviously. But I think that these people don't need to have platforms. Because it's not, they're not just talking about games anymore. They're talking about... Actually, they're not talking about games, period. They're just spouting bullshit and hate. And some, like I said, something nasty is bound to happen in the next year, year and a half. And the Facebooks and Twitters of this world are going to end up in a world of fucking trouble because they didn't decide to regulate themselves. And they, they, they say, oh, well, we're looking at this. You can't post a picture of a nipple, but you can share a video of somebody being shot. Yeah. Priorities, people. So anyway, fuck Milo. Fuck Mike Cernovich. Who's here in LA? I mean, Jesus. Ugh, these people. Gross. Anyway, um, fuck them. I think there was a point to it, to my wild rambling, and my point is fuck them. Let's kick them out of games. Let's kick them out of life. Let's kick them out of society. Not kick them out of life. I'm not advocating anybody go after them. Let's kick them out of society. Let's show them that their words and deeds have consequences. Twitter, kick them off. Get these people out because they're not expressing a decent point of view. They're, they're enabling others to be bigger dickweeds. Ugh. Anyway, oh my god, 50 minutes gone, and uh, I want to barely talk about a couple of games. Let's go back to, uh, so on the 2015 tip, as I sip another um, bit of my uh, almond milk latte, because uh, another side effect of getting old, you, t- you develop lactose intolerance. Seriously, if I have too much like organic milk or milk milk, I shit like a bastard. I mean, it's like Drano going through the system. This is something you you get you know you have to look forward to when you get old. I'm 45. I've got hairs growing out of my ears and nose. I've got rogue fucking eyebrows. And yeah, um, I have too much dairy. And hello, I've put the toilet roll in the fridge. But anyway, yes, 2015. Games I liked in 2015. And after this, I'm actually going to talk about the Game Awards because this is a handy segue in. Because I've written stuff down today. I've got a checklist. Games I liked. Um, and this is just a mishmash. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a be-all and end-all absolute. I'm sure there's some games that I forgot about. But um, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, in no particular order, Marvel Heroes 2015 which is the free-to-play Diablo-esque MMO from Gazillion that I've been playing for a year now. Uh, when it first came out, it was a disaster, and they rebooted it, fixed it up, and uh, it's fun. It's still fun. If you like Diablo, Diablo 2 in particular, 
It's got that vibe. And you want to play with Marvel superheroes. They, It's getting the stage now where they do need some some context is suffering from the same shit that a lot of MMOs have to have in the, you know, they'll release a new character and you want to play that new character, but they don't really have, you know, you end up going through the same stories over and over and over um, and grinding, which sucks. I would like to see more character specific content at the lower and the medium levels. Let's get that story going. And hopefully they'll do that in 2016, but still fun game. It's free. You see how, you can contribute if you want. You can buy character packs. You can buy boosts and all that fun stuff. Um, but again, it's fun to get in the Marvel Universe. Um, Fallout 4. Another game that came out last year that you know that I liked. Spent a lot of time on Fallout 4 over the holiday season, I think, a couple of weeks ago. 12 hours. And Fallout 4 isn't perfect. The longer the longer I've played it, and I've seen that obviously a lot of people have uh, have been out and said this, um, you know, much sooner than me. But, you know, I've, it isn't perfect. I mean, the main quest line is very much take it or leave it. And it does seem to be a little more limited than perhaps 3 in New Vegas is with, in regard to how you play. There's a lot of king-killing bang-bang. They've, they, they've kind of consolized it. The, and I've started, I started to realize that because I started a new character. Um... You know, I decided to play it a different way and I couldn't really keep on going that different way of talking to people and, you know, you get a chance to try and intimidate someone. But yeah, it doesn't, you know, the, you, there's only going to be a certain amount of factions that you can friendly up with. And perhaps in the next one, you can friendly up with whoever you want. Um, I mean, glitches wise is still not an issue for me. Not really had any glitches, but um, need some updates. They need to refine the building process. But still, it's one of the best games of last year. Assassin's Creed Syndicate makes my list of one of the best games of last year too. Why? Because it wasn't Assassin's Creed Unity. It was, you know, and I've said this before, it's gone back to Assassin's Creed. Uh, and the rumor is that the next one's in Egypt, but it's not coming for another 18 months, which is a hallelujah moment. It'll be nice not to have an AC this year. Um. Yeah, I'm actually kind of good. I'm good with that. Build some anticipation. Do this every couple of years, Ubisoft. Uh, but yeah, Syndicate was fun. Still is fun. I mean, it's it's a time it's a time frame that I like, as I've said, and it does things very well, and it takes out all the faff. And if you're looking for a more pure Assassin's Creed experience, this is one of the ones that you can you know do that goes back to brotherhood or ac2 um a game that kind of got stupped with a lot of you know with the game awards in particular is just cause 3 another favorite of mine from last year tail end i mean i'm covering predominantly the tail end last year because you know a couple of other games came out earlier in the year but you know they tend to get balked i mean tales from the borderlands is also another one but let me talk about um just cause 3 um, great game crippled by nasty ass loading on the consoles in particular but fun way better than Mad Max in my opinion um, but yeah it was fun Tales from the Borderlands excellent game so you know there was a, there was a bunch of really good stuff out last year I mean I didn't even tackle 
a lot of the indie type stuff that I look at I, I'm very judicious with the indie games I play now I think um, I don't think it's a, it's a question of prejudice but I look at some stuff uh, and I think eh, it's not particularly my frame I mean especially the retro stuff I lived through that shit the first time kind of over the retro stuff but there's there's one that's uh, that's getting a lot of buzz right now dragon the cancer i think its title is and i've I've watched the video on it you know the video on steam and i've read some of the things and it's basically a two-hour experience of a family losing a child to cancer and that and that is supposed to be incredibly powerful and I don't think I'm man enough to experience that. I don't think I'm. I don't think I want to put myself in that position, uh, because you know, again, from what I've read, there's lots of highs and lows, and you know, it's a very emotional experience. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. I mean, like I said, I'm not a dad, but I was in bits when my uh, when our cat died two years ago. And I'm sure this game can do a lot of good and show people that, you know, again, games are emotional, artistic experiences that go beyond Call of Duty or Fallout or um, World of Warcraft or whatever. But I'm not ready for that. I really aren't. I'm not. You get old, you get maudlin. You get old, you get more emotional as in your emotions bubble to the surface. I think it's also a case of just dropping the BS. Uh, but anyway, yes. Um, look, on the whole, I think 2015 was a good year for games. I got back into games after 2014 just being a shitstorm. Um, but like I said, I mean, the ones that I played the most of all came in the tail end of last year from about September on. Um, and look, Dying Light, Mad Max, Metal Gear. I mean, I bought Metal Gear, I bought Mad Max, and I didn't like them. But people did, so good for you. I'm glad you got the enjoyment out of them. I didn't personally, but that's the way it goes. But let's talk about the Game Awards. And I'm not going to continually rehash the whole stupid to have the Game Awards in... Uh, uh, December when games are still coming out or having games that haven't been released yet or certain games that haven't been released yet are nominated when they haven't even been reviewed. That's just... I mean, the Game Awards... I mean, they, 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 we're talking about awards for video games. I mean, they you know they, they carry the same fucking weight as the Golden Globes. Uh, you know, bought and paid for in a number of ways. Um, and that's just the, unfortunately the way it is I mean maybe the DICE Awards are a little different um, they're happening soon and they'll be more peer sort of like reviewed but I went to the Game Awards I was very lucky to you know have somebody with a ticket a spare ticket Dali Domofsky my uh, you know podcast leader on the Lonely TARDIS which if you like Doctor Who that should be the only oh actually not the only listen to as many as you want just make sure you listen to Lonely TARDIS it's on iTunes and just do a search for it and we have a good band and we talk about you know talk about Doctor Who and shit I mean we might even have something new coming in 2016 who knows coffee sip time 
Um, yeah, so I went and it was, you know, it's interesting after being detached from games for, uh, you know, a while and then slowly like put them away back into it just to watch how it's done and watch the, you know, the games that were nominated. And I want to talk about one particular aspect because look, at the end of the day, every you know whoever gets the awards it's it is what it is it's nice to have a little trophy whatever but the beauty of awards is that everybody disagrees with them everybody has their own personal preference and it's the same with the oscar nominations the golden globe awards blah 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 i mean you know you could uh, get between two things you could uh, you know have two things nominated for an award and you're guaranteed to piss off 50 percent of the people because one wins one doesn't and everybody wants their opinion validated but one of the things i want to talk wanted to talk about was this um the influencer award that the second year they've done this and it's basically you know voted for i think by the public and it's you know, basically talking about who their favorite online personality is. And, you know, you have uh, Total Biscuit, you have Boogie, you have a lot of people. And this year's winner was uh, Game Over Greggy. And I don't know the guy. And I don't have a problem with the guy uh, at all because he's obviously doing something nice. He's, you know, by all accounts, he's a lovely guy. Um, a lot of good friends. They, you know, we have mutual friends. And so I'm. this is no sl- uh, slight, slight on him whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, you know, I think I think one of the problems with the Influencer Awards is that it only recognizes the here and now. What's hot right now. And again, like I said, he probably deserves his award. He does a lot of good stuff. He does comedy stuff that a lot of people love. Good luck. Great. But what I'd like to see the Game Awards do or you know, any sort of awards, is start recognizing what I consider, and this is my own personal opinion, not law, is, what you know, start recognizing the influencers who got the industry to where they are today. And I'm talking about the journalists and the creators over the last 30 years. Because the creators were creating and we were playing their games and that's what got us into games. And what kept us in games, you know, apart from the actual games, was reading the reviews. Whether they be in print or online. But before games, you know, went totally mainstream with the PS2 and the 360, there were people busting ass to write stories and keep the hardcore old school gaming fans happy and we devoured that information i'm talking about people who worked on stuff you know they may have stepped out of games journalism or they maybe they're still plowing the furrow um i'm talking about rob smith pc gamer i'm talking about jeff green from cgw i'm talking about jazz rignall who you know um I think works for US Gamer right now, or US Gamer, whichever you prefer. But he, you know, is a Brit. He used to be on 
some of the games, uh, some of the magazines that formed my gaming tastes in the 80s in Crash, Zap 64, and Amtex. I mean, you know, these are Spectrum, Commodore 64, and Amstrad um, magazines. And these these were the games that basically came in before the, the NES and the systems because we were playing on the home computers, on the Amiga, on the Spectrum, on the Amstrad, on the Commodore 64, the C16, the Texas Instruments. And I would like to see these guys and girls and, you know, guys and ladies. Sorry, I don't mean to be come across condescending by using girls. Um, and perhaps some people think I'm not being condescending, which is great. But anyway, these folks, I'd like to see them recognized. Because without their work, without them busting ass and producing the magazines that we bought before everything went gonzo in the internet age and we ended up with fucking katakus and <sighs> milos and all that wank um these are the guys who were writing the stories doing the interviews keeping the hype going being brutally honest where they could and you know talking about the cool new stuff and getting getting keeping the industry going when there were crashes, and there were crashes, the industry's been up and down like a fucking hooker's knickers over the last 30 to 40 years. And I'd like to see these guys recognized. Because what they've done, you know, there are people out there who don't know, don't know Rob Smith. And I look, I say this, he's a very close personal friend of mine. But he was the editor of PC Gamer and the editor of OXM. And he wrote a book about LucasArts. And Jeff Green, again, fantastic journalist. I butted heads with him many a time. Because, but he's brilliant. John Davison, PC Zone. Gary Witter, PC Gamer. Fran Reyes, OXM. Kristen Salvatore, PC Gamer. I mean, and the list goes on and on before... Before that, I mean, like I said, there's a whole bunch of Brits that I was doing PR with back in, you know, or working with in the 90s. And these are the guys, in my opinion, uh, who have really made sure that the games industry has got to the to, to the level that it has. They did the groundwork. They laid the foundations. The people are benefiting from now. So it's great that Boogie has X amount of followers and does X, Y, and Z and Angry Joe. And these guys, I'm not belittling their work at all because they work their asses off. Total Biscuit game over Greggy. I mean, they work their asses off, and they, but they are the generation that was reading the PC gamers, OXMs, PSNs, you know, back in the day, you know, pre internet. Well, hopefully some of the older ones were. Well, some of the old ones definitely were because there was no internet. But I'd like to see these guys get, you know, these folks get some recognition because we all owe them. We owe the ones who, you know, oh, you write about video games? <laughs> when you're going to get a real writing gig. You know, these are the guys who put their passion out there and wrote and wrote and wrote, um, you know, six, seven, eight-page fucking previews, cover stories, interactive features on CD-ROM cover discs, you know, blast from the past. You know, and all the time managing, you know, a, a, a magazine. And now, you know, in the internet days, it's, oh, well, that's yesterday's news. But, I mean, they were putting stuff out there that was there for a month. 
and people would read it and the hype would build and games would sell and little brothers and sisters would see the the older brothers and sisters playing the games and get into it so i mean this is not going to get very far obviously because there's not a huge listenership but maybe if you do want to take the social media and start you know start saying to the powers that be to the jeff keelys to the awards organizers why don't you start recognizing some of the history beyond i mean obviously we've got to respect and honor the old school game designers who've been doing this 20 30 years because again they started the industry that we all love but the press you know and i'm not saying there's a there's you know every single old school games journalist deserves a fucking pat on the head and a gong no, a lot of them deserve a fucking boot of the uh, boot of the ass. But there are people who busted ass over the years. I mean, I'm going to talk about Andy McNamara, Game Informer. He's been there for so long, and Game Informer is still a hugely influential publication. And Andy's been at the helm for a long time. And these are the unsung heroes to me because they don't have a podcast, they don't have a YouTube channel. They just get the shit done, and always have. And these are the guys we need to start recognizing before it's too late. Because just like the Bowies and the Alan Rickmans of this world and the Lemmys, they've contributed to your your passion. And yet they haven't had a picture up on social media or a picture, you know, picture beyond the, you know, next to their name on the byline. And these are the guys who need, you know, to not need, I'm sure they don't need the recognition, but they deserve it, in my opinion. And I'd like to see that. So, yeah, if you uh, take anything away from today's incredibly long podcast, well, it's been a while since we talked, take that away. Reach out. Let people know. You know, you're, only if you agree, of course. If you don't agree, fair enough. And like I said, I'm not saying anything bad about the current crop. Because a lot of the current crop do really good stuff. There is a subset of the current crop or a bunch of fucking money-grabbing shills who do it for fucking money because they're paid by publishers or peripheral manufacturers or whoever. <clears throat> and they're not journalists. They're Milos. There you go. All right, to wrap up, um, Steam sales happened. Obviously, Steam, Christmas Day, wah, wah, there was a caching issue and uh, everybody saw lots of other shit they shouldn't. Led to my most tweeted tweet for a long time, or retweeted, which was kind of amusing, um, where I just tweeted out um, a picture of Homer Simpson at his uh, nuclear control station looking very confused and uh, the phrase, meanwhile, over at Steam HQ. Um, but they got it fixed. There was no major issues, apparently. Uh, but the Steam sales happened, and I was actually very, very good this year. I didn't buy a bunch of stuff. But what I did buy, um, Fallout 1 and 2, the OG's Fallouts, because they were on a real cheap sale, the old Interplay Fallouts, uh, because I hadn't played them, and uh, all the packs were there and everything, so I bought them. And, you know, because I felt I... I, I've heard so many good things um, where people are like, well, Fallout 3, New Vegas and 4 are not OG Fallout, and they're not. And, you know, it's a, it's it's rough for those games because graphically they don't stand the test of time as they wouldn't. Um, 
and it's a different fallout it's a more slower paced fallout the characters aren't as well developed some of the stories are very interesting i mean certainly you don't have to search for your kid your father your cousin whatever as much as you do in the bethesda fallouts family's a big theme in the the the, the latter fallout games um but yeah i uh, i try playing them and they don't hold up well because the technology so maybe you know they may be crying out for HD remakes. So the jury is out on that one because I tried and I stepped away because I was getting a headache. That was some old... I mean, the, the retro shit just doesn't do it for me anymore because it gives me a headache. Um, but the other one, the other thing I bought was Alien Isolation because um, I never got that when it came out and it was on sale with all the expansion packs. And I'm glad I did. And as I said before, when I talked about Oculus, that's the sort of game, that's the that's the that's the experience that I think going forward we can expect from VR. You know, because Alien Isolation, a lot of people liked it, a lot of people didn't like it. It's certainly better than Colonial Marines. It's one of the best Alien games for a long time, and they're saying something. Actually, it's not saying something. Um, but yeah, I got Isolation. I'm glad I did, because creeps me the fuck out. And I can only play in small doses because I'm old and turning into a wuss. But that was the sum total of my Steam stuff because, you know, a lot of stuff I already had. And I also, you know, time management. Don't have as much time to really get invested in a bunch of games. And accumulating a huge Steam fucking catalog of games when other games are coming out is <sighs> daunting. But yes, a um, couple of last things. Um, Christmas came and went and obviously there was gifts and I want to, you know, as usual, my darling wife and family took care of me as always. Um, and I want to give a little shout out because I got some cool shit. Um, maybe this could also serve as a mini review. First up, the BB-8, the remote control BB-8, um, from Star Wars Force Awakens, which Star Wars Force Awakens I very much enjoyed. I thought a lot. What a lot of people were saying was the rampant plot holes in a copy of The New Hope. Well, no, not really. Um, I saw it twice, and I'm done now until the Blu-ray. Was it the best Star Wars? Um, I think it comes in the same level as New Hope. Joint second behind Empire for me. Um, but you know, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, fantastic. Oscar Isaac's so fucking dreamy. Um, but yeah, Daisy Ridley carried the film, John Boyega, great as Finn. Um, but BB-8, yes, I got it. And the, you know, the idea behind it was, you know, I asked for it because just like with my Millennium Falcon drone, I wanted to see what the dog would do. And he fucking hates BB-8, chases it around, barks at it nonstop. Maybe I will put a video up at some point of him going apeshit, um, and if you haven't seen the uh, Spike versus the Millennium Falcon drone, it is on my Instagram at Annoyed Gamer. Um, yeah, so BB, that's a, it's a fun little unit. I mean, look, it's a, it's a little drone, so there's only so much playing you can do with it. But setting it on patrol mode, watching it figure out its way, and driving the the dog nuts is always fun. Um, got a Lego TARDIS because I need more TARDISes in my life. Um, but yes, I mean, I still haven't finished building the fucking Falcon from last Christmas, but my darling wife got me the Lego TARDIS, and that's in the to-build pile. I'm actually moving my games room. 
I'm moving to our sunroom, so I'm not building anything else until I've got everything in the sunroom and um, we've, we're doing some house rejiggeration. Our bedroom is going to be moved into the games room because it's slightly bigger and then our back room is earmarked for something else. Um, and that's going to happen over the next six weeks to two months, so it's going to be fun. Uh, so yes, Lego TARDIS looks awesome. It's got the Doctor. Um Amazon Echo. Now, that was a gift that surprised me because I'd expressed an interest in it a while back, but I forgot about it. But my wife, being the ninja that she is, she remembered and she got me the Amazon Echo, which is the uh, voice activated character called Alexa and plays music, answers questions, gives news reports, traffic, weather, that sort of stuff. I gotta say, it's fucking cool. It was very cool um, on Monday when I just said play David Bowie and they, she played Blackstar. Um, and she understands me, which is something Xbox, uh, you know, Connect and uh, Siri don't do. So, uh, and there's more stuff you can add. You can ask stupid questions and you can play games and they're adding more and more features. But I got to say, yeah, I like Alexa. The wife likes it too uh, because it will recognize any of any voice. And, you know, it, it, the downside is that my wife has programmed a bunch of shitty easy listening hipster bullshit fucking bands in there that I will come home and it'll be playing oh this is chill at work and it's a bunch of bands I've never fucking heard of and I'll say shut up and play Run DMC I need some Raising Yell in my life or some Bowie or some Queen because uh, it taps into your Amazon Prime music collection so Alexa's great and then the last thing uh, I'll, I'll talk about of you know I, like I said Lucky Boy cool Star Wars socks by the way um, got a lot of those, uh, is, uh, I got a blue, a DVD set from a show called the tomorrow people. And obviously people will think, Oh, the tomorrow people, it was that shitty show on the WB a couple of years ago. Well, I'm going to go, Aah. it doesn't count. That wasn't the fucking tomorrow people. That was fucking MTV bollocks. Was it on MTV or WB? But anyway, it got cancelled because it was shit. I'm talking about the original OG sci-fi series from the UK, The Tomorrow People. I already had the, season, um, the first season on DVD. Um, actually, and now I have season two. And it doesn't stand the test of time with regards to the tech. And it is old and dated. And it's from the late 70s, early 80s. But some great-ass sci-fi as a Brit coming home from school i'd watch i mean and this was on five days a week 20 plus minute episodes five days a week uh monday through friday and you come home from school plonk down you see the tomorrow people and they were they were you know they were hip young people as you were in the 70s so lots of bell bottoms and loud shirts uh but it was telekinesis teleportation and it got into some pretty heavy themes and they came, they were accompanying a bunch of books that you know talked about you know theories on World War Two and you know in the UK there was a short-lived period where people were fascinated with Nazi memorabilia and they turned that story into something. Um, and yeah, so I yeah, made out like a bandit. And tomorrow, people season two is you know icing on the cake because again, when you get old, you start to appreciate the stuff of your childhood. It's nostalgia, and some stuff doesn't hold up, and some stuff does, and you just got to look at it from that old perspective. Um, yeah, so that's the podcast. That's the podcast. 
I don't know if you can hear the dog barking, but I've been going for about a minute and 20, an hour and 20, and I think I'm done. So, um, kind of big news, I suppose. You can now get this on iTunes. You can now get this on Stitcher and Google Play, as well as SoundCloud. So, 2016, the year I start my world domination. So, yeah, you can rate and review now. And apparently, they've got a couple of reviews up already. So, uh, if you've uh, listened to, to it via iTunes and you said nice things, thank you very much, Lee. Um, if you want to rate and review, please do. Don't feel under any pressure. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for that. You can do the following on uh, the No Comments Cast or at No Comments Cast on the Twitty, or you can follow me at Annoyed Gamer. You probably already do. You're awesome. Um, also, I created a Steam group for No Comments Cast, and it's blank right now. I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. I want to lock down the name. So, if you see that and you're on Steam, if you want to click in, um, it's a place I think to go and have conversations about games without the bullshit that's generally associated with conversations about games. So, yes, um, who knows when the next one will be up? Maybe it'll be next week. Maybe we'll have more stuff to talk about. Uh, maybe 2016 will be the year that uh, the No Comments cast maybe becomes more rounded. Maybe there are more episodes like this where I talk a little bit about games, a little bit about toys, a little bit about politics, a little bit about general wankholery that uh, goes on. But uh, as always, thank you for listening. Um, let's see if I can make another week without a cigarette. Be good, be cool. Catch you on the flip side. And uh, Happy New Year. And uh, dear cancer, stop taking people I dig. You fuckers.